Welcome to Reading Aloud Live. My name is Reverend Campbell, and today we're going to be reading Might is Right. This is going to be the second part. We left off on Chapter 2, Part 4. We're going to pick up on Part 5 of Chapter 2. Thank you guys so much for joining me live, if you're joining me live. Uh, Matthew, good to see you. It has been a while. Aaron, how are you, my dear? William, what's up, man? Kyle, how you doing? Vasuri, thanks for joining. All right, anyone else who ends up coming in the live chat wanting to share your thoughts about might is right good bad whatever it's all good it's okay this is a safe place to discuss misogyny and hate it's okay <laughs> this is a good place for you um i shared my thoughts about might is right in the first part there are parts of this i do not agree with there are parts of this i do not enjoy but I believe in free speech and I believe in the freedom of information so that we can come to our own conclusions and come form our own opinions. And the only way you can do that is from an informed position. That means you have to actually dive into the material. Now, some of this is really great and really exciting and, and very vibrant and bold. And I like that about mine is right. Some of it, not so much, but we're going to get through all of it <laughs> because what else am I going to do on a Thursday night? All right. Spend it with my family. Ha. <laughs> I see them every day. Um, <laughs> bad syntax. How you doing, man? Uh, hail Satan. Hail Satan. Zachary, good to see you. Good to see you made it. Oh, you're going to read along? Great. You can see all the mistakes I make. Uh, that's the other part of this is what I'm trying to do is give a little bit of a dramatic reading uh, when it's appropriate, I think. And to be quite honest, I'm not the greatest order. So I'm going to mispronounce words from time to time or flub it and back up and try to correct what I said. Or sometimes I'll just keep going, depending on the situation. Um, those little missteps that you get in any live reading, I'm not embarrassed by. I'm not ashamed about. It's just part of my pattern of reading and it's how we're going to get through this together i've already gone through two different volumes with you before so you should expect it but if you're new to this well then expect mistakes because i am human <laughs> that being said i think we should dive in and then uh, on the other side of each section or each chapter we'll just have a bit of back and forth about it if there's something that is uh, presented here Throughout the course of a reading that you want to speak about or you want to bring up to the attention of other people or you just want to shit on, I don't care, uh, put it in the chat and we'll talk about it. That's part of what makes this format entertaining, uh, hopefully for you, certainly for me. All right. That being said, it is hot as hell in my room. <laughs> this is really, really hot, even with central air running, hitting me in the legs. So I'm not wearing any pants, so I can't stand up at all. So just understand I'm going to be very static. I'm not going to be moving, but there's a reason for it. <laughs> so I hope, I hope you understand. So let's dig into this. Chapter 2, Part 5, Might is Right. 5. Reverend Ferdinand M. Sprague of Chicago, who may be taken as a common specimen of the priest politician in a little pamphlet lately, published entitled the laws of social evolution writes thus the sheet anchor of socialism according to its ablest opponents uh, exponents is the holy christian religion its motto founded on the precept love thy neighbor as thyself is 
each for all and all for each. Its working principle for the present is altruism. Nearly all the canonized fathers of the early Roman propaganda, most of whom, by the way, were slaves, freedmen, or eunuchs, advocated similar ideals. Even now, the anointed and sanctified head of the Catholic Church resurrects the same hoary old utopianism in a Jesuistic encyclical address uh, addressed to his flock. How suggestive of being shorn and skinned is that word, flock. Again, the epistle of James, who is known to have been Christ's full brother, killed by a special policeman's club in a street riot, has been reprinted and widely circulated by socialists in order to so broadcast their illogical theories of a universal brotherhood founded upon enforced labor, regimentation of the herd, and majority votes. Many modern cities are also infested with plausible epileptoid priestlings of unreason, like Dr. McGlynn, Professor Bemis, Hugh Price Hughes, W.T. Stead, Myron Reed, and Professor Heron of California. All these men are unrivaled masters in the art of persuasion, declamation. They accept the New Testament as their textbook and preach, therefore, to morbid multitudes the atrocious and shallow gospel of equal rights, equal liberty, equal brotherhood as the veritable omnific word the newly discovered emancipating protocol of the crucified, yet almighty, Don Quixote, the savior god of Asia Minor, he who was born in a cattle shed and died on a gallows. A god begging his bread from door to door. A god without a place to lay his head. A god spiked to two pieces of cross scantling. A god stabbed to death by a hired officer. A god executed by order of a stipendary magistrate. What an insane idea! Is it an idea? Or rather, a wasting cranial disease? Talk about the heathen and his blindness and superstitious madness in past ages. Why is it, as child play to the hysteric idolatry of today, the deification of the Jew? The divine democrat was executed upon a government gibbet because the rulers of Imperial Rome were more powerful men than he was. His strength and that of his followers was not equal to theirs. He died in abysmal failure. A redeemer who did not redeem. A savior who did not save. A messiah whipped like a calf. A slave agitator, deservedly destroyed for preaching a falsehood. The monstrous gospel of love, brotherhood, and equality. Even from the spiritual point of view, there is nothing whatever in his life or its after effects to show that the pale man upon the cross, when he moaned and wept so bitterly, beheld any further down the void than those who gathered round to see him die. Of what use was that pale dreamer to the iron conditions that existed in the conquered and garrisoned fortress of Jerusalem? For once, the city mob were on the right trail and they petitioned for the release of Barabbas, rather than the supple singer of a sweet by-and-by. Barabbas is described in the scriptures as a petty thief. He was really an armed insurgent leader, the slayer of Roman tax-gatherers, a guerrilla chief like Rob Roy, Robin Hood, William Wallace, William Tell, who levied toll upon opulent Hebrews for patriotic purposes. Had I been there that day? 
I also would have joined in the demand. Release Barabbas unto us! Better one Barabbas than a thousand Christs. Alas, alas, O Galilean, thou art neither the way, the truth, nor the light! There was no six. It just jumped from five to seven. Yeah. What? <laughs> Did I miss something? Okay, so I'm afraid people are going to be taking this out of context. <laughs> like little snippets of these readings. And you'll be like, oh my gosh, Reverend Campbell's all right. I'm not okay with that. No, I'm not. Kind of funny though, right? <laughs> He'd rather celebrate and release a thief than than the Christ, the Jesus. <laughs> Zachary. All right. Hey, I got a question. If there was one person you could resurrect, like in the myth of the Jesus resurrection, or one person that was uh, imprisoned, who would you release or bring back from the dead? I'm going to think about that. But off the tip of my tongue, uh, I'm going to have to think about it. Yeah. There's a part six in yours? Did I miss it? Or did it just not show a six? What did your part six start with, Aaron? This is the uh, scan of the 1896 release. So different versions may have added in the, the number. Either way, we should continue. I'm going to melt. Ooh, mama. Seven. Reverting, however, to Chicago's reverend utopia constructor, thus waileth he with cajoling credulity. The laws of social evolution, far from being the blind, barbarous, and brutal struggle for organic existence, consists in the physical, intellectual, and moral well-being of all the members of society, so constituted that the politico-ethical principles of liberty, equality, and fraternity shall have the largest possible realization throughout the social organism. The main features of the condition of progress are Christian churches, Christian schools, Christian governments, Christian ethics, and economics. Another seductive but most malignant state, socialist Henry George, roundly proclaims that the salvation of society The hope of the free and the full development of humanity is in the gospel of brotherhood, the gospel of Christ. And thereupon he proposes to make politicians the national rent tax collectors, administrators of everything in general, and all-around distributors of state pensions to the poor and needy. Has not mankind had sufficient experience of what politicians are? Those black-hearted, creeping thieves and frauds? Their sting is deadlier than the bite of a cobra, and in the breath of their mouth there is death. Curses be upon you, O oh ye politicians, and upon all who advocate increasing your prerogatives. Presidential candidates from Jefferson to Lincoln, also their apish imitators, have generally indulged in the equally shallow rhodomont Rhodomontade, because it means votes, 
And for votes, office seekers would dress up in a glowing language and rave forth any devilish deception. For 2,000 years, these effeminate superlatives have been trumpeted to the remotest corner of every Christian land. And yet, while enervating the moral morale of the people, they have dismally failed to inaugurate the much foretold earthly paradise. They were preached by barefoot monks at the inauguration of the Dark Ages in order that those saintly lovers of the common people might creep into the administration of cooperative wealth and power. Now, the same general ideas are revived and dressed up, this time in political economic garb, by the eloquent agitator in order that he may rule and plunder in the future through the agency of the state. Just as the priest once ruled and plundered through the equally rapacious agency of the church. When the church triumphed, the dark ages began. And when it is finally rooted out, together with all its social antennae, the heroic age dawns once more. True heroes shall be born again as of old from our women. For our women may yet be sometimes more than rickety preambulating dolls and drug stores and spectacles. The church is the idol of the priestly parasite. The state is the idol of the political parasite. Beware, O oh America, that in escaping from the holy trickery of the monk, you fall not an easy prey to the loving kindness of the politician. Even if the reformer succeeds in reestablishing upon majority votes the dark tyranny of the greatest number, we have this consolation to fall back on. Such organization must ultimately tumble down of its own weight and then redivide upon into warring fragments nothing that is unnatural can last for long. The universal church is no more, and we see of it now is jealous remnants. And the universal state, the social democracy, the economic republic, the brotherhood of man, should they take practical form, are preordained to similar failure. All they could do would be to postpone the operation of the survival of the fittest, drugging nations and temporary sedatives. No matter how eager madmen may try to do it, there is no known process whereby they can jump out of their own skins. Christian or socialist churches, paternalisms, schools, governments, administrations, ethics, and moralisms, I, if genuinely Christian and fraternal, would be wholly impotent to change the natural course of things, and therefore powerless to command the survival of mental and physical cripples even although those cripples are canonized saints for goodness and as the sands of the sea shore for number. Shrieking sentimentalism is indeed a feeble lever wherewith to overturn the immutable order of the universe. It cannot do it. No, not if it were whooped to the crack of doom. Not even if it had a lamb of God in every city ready to be butchered each Friday afternoon in order to make a Christian holiday. <laughs> I kind of dig his sentiments here. I mean, it's it's true, you know. Um, people were taken by priests. Now they're being taken by politicians. Some are being taken by both. I mean, certainly there must be a third side here somewhere. All right, let's see. Genghis Khan. You'd bring him back. Nice. I like that. Genghis Khan. See, I'd be curious... 
okay, this is going to, this is, bear with me on this, okay? Just because I personally think Adolf Hitler took the easy way out. And I would really, really like to see him in the same way we saw Saddam Hussein on trial. I think that would be an amazing experience to watch Adolf Hitler on trial with like an all Jewish panel filled with all of the gypsies and handicapped and uh, darker skin toned peoples whom his Reich murdered by the masses. I would love to see him up there sweating bullets, trying to make excuses. No, it was, it was meant to be an art project. <laughs> I think I might bring back Hitler just to see him take trial. I think that would be entertaining. I mean, just a thought. <laughs> yeah, he'd be like, it's done as a joke. <laughs> they just, they, they ran with it. I don't, I, it wasn't my fault. Would he? I wonder if he would take like a Manson approach, right? He was like, but I didn't personally kill anyone. I didn't really do anything wrong, right? He totally would. He totally would. <laughs> He's like, I was just flouting a, a swatting a fly. That's all that was. It wasn't, it wasn't what you thought it was. Everyone just saw me do it once. That's all it took. I just I swatted a fly once, and then suddenly everyone was like, oh, we must do that. I didn't know. <laughs> Someone's got to do that sketch comedy, right? That would, It's got to have been done by now, if we're being honest. I want to see that. I'd like to see his ass put on trial, and then burned at a fucking stake or hung out in the public square. I'd love to see that. And wh why did we stop public burnings? Or drawing and quartering? See, I'm kind of with, um, I'm getting a little bit off topic here. I'm kind of, there's a, 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 a special, one of the many HBO specials that George Carlin put out where he like segmented states off for different types of criminals. And then at certain times televised to bring in advertising and money, they would open, and entertainment, he would open gates between the different areas and then certain types of criminals would be able to invade each other's spaces and it would just be this big brawl and stuff but like the idea of public shaming i think we need to bring back when we have shaming behind fences cordoned off from iron bars and cement walls then i don't know i, th I think there is an actual massive benefit to public shaming like, you know, we could bring back uh, the stocks. Is that what it's called? The stocks where there's like the three holes in the wood you stick your head and arms through and you just have to sit there. Little kids would come up and throw cabbage at you because apparently there was a lot of rotting cabbage back in the day. Which is another thing I want to bring up. In a place and in a time when it was hard to make a living and have food, why was everyone throwing their food at fucking criminals? I'd be the guy that's like, oh, hey kids, go get that. That's still a good one. That's clearly a, not, that tomato still got a little bit of pulp in it. Go get it. We'll make some sauce. What? Why are they throwing their food? It's ridiculous. All right. Sorry. I don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, bring back Vlad. <laughs> Dude, if you watch, watch, um, I'm missing it tonight too for this. Watch um, uh, what we do in the shadows. <laughs> because there's a character very much like Vlad that uh, I think it would be probably similar. I think it would be funny. Um, 
Fernando the Relentless because he doesn't relent. <laughs> so funny. Rotten food, my ass. People live on the streets scouring uh, uh, dumpsters for rotten food. We just, Americans throw away more food. And of course, in every stupid show set back in the Middle Ages, we throw away food that could still be consumed. So, rotten my ass. Call it shit. Um, keel hauling the real. Okay, I, I'm sorry. I digress too much. We got to get back. Oh man, it's so fucking hot. <clears throat> Eight, liberty, equality, fraternity. Those three great lights of modern democracies are three colossal falsehoods, ignoble slave shibboleths, impossible of actualization, even if proclaimed by some superhuman Satan followed by armed hosts of unkillable demons, all armed to the teeth with flaming swords, Greek fire, and dynamite cannon. You may trace equality in letters of silver on tablets of burnished gold, but without engineering a perpetual miracle, you cannot make it true. You may write fraternity in blazing diamonds on walls of enduring granite, but without reversing the mechanism of the universe, you cannot make it fact. And though you inscroll freedom on countless sheepskins and rivet statues of liberty on every harbor rock, yet with the all the king's horses and all the king's men, one being born to be a hireling and a subordinate, no power can free. Can you build up a marble palace with mud and slime? Oh, ye driveling bedlamites. Can you raise up a conqueror from a dunghill or make the stupid great? Can you manufacture heroes out of hogs? Oh, ye snuffling, educated swine. We can, we can, we can, shriek at the raging rhetorician. Rhetoricians. If the marketplace and the editorial mill. We can, we can, bellows the herd as it stupidly pours through the slip rails to the pithing pin. Yes, oh, yes, with the love of Jesus and our collection plates, whines a soft-skinned preacher as he turns over the sibylline leaves of his black art. Of a certainty we can, hisses the plastic politician, the rattlesnake, the hungry basilisk, whose lawmaking is more blighting than the breath of a simoon. Thereupon toward you, O oh America, they one and all point the finger of pride towards you, O oh my country, my country, America, where the politicians rage and the people imagine vain things, and the dogs in the alleys are baying at the moon. Then turn I away, sadly, 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 and I brush against a slave in copper riveted overalls, hurrying to his mill, and against another in gold chain, and silken hat, hasting to his money changing, and a lean woman in sordid rags with a pile of lumber balanced upon her crown, and a splendid harlot in diamonds, and brilliant plumage, riddeth slowly by. And the cattle in the slaughter yard are lowering their hay, and a draught mare with a galled shoulder leeth swollen and dead on the frozen paving blocks. How nauseating is it all? How sickening! Loathsome! Loathsome! Oh, how loathsome! All right. Um, starting to think this guy has a problem with people in society. <laughs> 
this is like a straight up just a madman's rant, right? Like this guy has lost his mind, and I, I mean, maybe someone on the street tripped into him or like spilled, like bumped into him, and then he spilled his coffee on his shirt, and he was just like, ah! Or, or those people who some merges into the lane in front of them and they take it as a personal affront. Like, this is my lane. How dare you merge into my lane in front of me? Nay, I say. Those douchebags. That's what this guy is. <laughs> Fucking people, man. <laughs> yeah, Miser says there can only be equality among equals. As long as the equal is the way I define equal. Not the way you define equal, right? <laughs> you can do it however you want, as long as you do it how I say. <laughs> I mean, come on. Yeah, this guy, seriously, I think maybe he didn't get laid very much. Or he did get laid and he got syphilis. I think that was still a thing in the time. Because he's got, <laughs> he's got issues. Let's find out what other issues he's got. Nine. Man is part and parcel of the animal kingdom, and notwithstanding Jefferson, Franklin, and Lincoln, Karl Marx, LaSalle, and Liebknecht, Christ, Robespierre, and Rousseau, Heinemann, Tennyson, and Mazzini, Dr. Adler, Babel, George, and Isaiah, Bellamy, Gronlung, and W.T. Stead. He cannot escape from the draconic ordinances that despotically govern that kingdom and environ his being like an atmosphere on every side. Altruism, meek and lowly self-abrogation upon any extended scale is among predatory organisms, and all organisms are predatory, impossible of practice and pain of wholesale fellow desi. Every man is under an obligation to fight and bear his own burden. If he cannot do so, others cannot do his fighting or his burden-bearing and their own at the same time without reasonable safety to themselves. He, therefore, who finds it impossible to carry his own burden had better sink down and die in his tracks than impose an additional load upon the shoulders of his kind-hearted fellow strugglers. For then, they would be overloaded and consequently unable to fight successfully. So all might perish together. Practical fraternal sympathy upon any universal scale has always had, in the end, a most destructive effect upon the internal structure of communities. Men will always love and cherish those that are near and dear to them, but when it is postponed, uh, proposed to extend the circle of their near and dear ones to all mankind, that's going rather too far. Indeed, all must perish ignominiously if that foolish idea prevails. All are even now enervating themselves, undermining their strength by futile overexertion in that very direction. They are straining themselves to death by endeavoring to carry an impossible load. The majority of men are born far too weak constitutionally for their conditions, and the few who do possess the necessary stamina and grit will have quite enough to do in proving by deeds their fitness to survive, propagate, and possess. Many are projected, few are selected. Yet altruism, wholesale self-renunciation, wholesale burden-bearing for the sake of outraged and 
suffering humanity is the maddening basis upon which our good Lord Jesus and his demented imitators have erected their sporadic sociology, their magnificent Satanism. Does not simple business acumen whisper to us that every man's chief occupation upon earth is to sustain himself? I mean to subsist at any cost. You shall want ere I shall. Business is business. If men had sufficient personal initiative to think along these stern lines, there would be little use on earth for the theologian and the reformer, those twin Mephistos who find their renown and grandeur in the abasement of mankind. The battle of life would then be so grim, terrible, and realistic, so Trojan in fact, that those holy dis dissimulators and crafty deceivers would rapidly die off or be eaten off, for in the clash of naked interests, the best and bravest only could possibly survive, and no one would ever dream of including them among the best or bravest. I gotta stop for just a second, because I've been watching The Office a lot, and this guy sounds exactly like Dwight Schrute, right? Like, exactly like Dwight Schrute. Are we sure Dwight Schrute in an alternate universe didn't actually write this? And print it at Dunder Mifflin? I mean, I'm just saying. Fucking dude. Uh, yeah, self-preservation is absolutely the highest law. Yeah. Um, at least I think it is. <laughs> uh, I think uh, this guy is going a little bit above and beyond uh, self-preservation. The idea that anyone... Uh, take someone that you love or care about asking for assistance or asking you to help carry their heavy load as it were would somehow drag you both down speaks not just to that individual's inability to deal with his own life but your inability to deal with yours because if you can't handle any extra load then you're barely skimming water yourself how terrible how shitty of a survivalist, of a warrior are you that you can't carry your brother out of a battlefield because his burden is too great to bear if we're going to put it in the same context that this is being put in. I mean, come on. There's a point where there's like this childish view of might is right, this infantile... Uh, 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 I am the only thing that matters in this universe mentality. Even Satanists and Satanism say those that you choose to care about. You would love to help them because you have chosen to love them. In this context, it's fuck you, I don't care. I'm out for number one. <laughs> Guess what happens to that guy? He fails and dies alone. Every fucking time every fucking time it's good lesser magic to witness this opportunity of helping someone if it's then going to help you in return later on that is survival of the fittest not thumbing your nose at anyone and everyone because they should be able to carry their own load if i try to help you i'm just gonna fail too because quite frankly i'm barely keeping my head above water here man fuck ah give me a break I cannot stand the people who stand behind this 
as like some de facto truth on, on, I don't know. There's this idea of, of masculine manliness that, uh, I know too many guys who get behind where it, it's all just puffing of chest. It's like peacocking, right? You know, you're, you're showing your feathers. I'm so tough. I'm so strong. I do everything on my own. I'm a great warrior. I'm a great, blah, blah, blah. What happens when they need help and there's no one there to help them? They fail and die. So where did all your blustering, where did all your might get you? Literally nothing. In the end, it got you an outcast. A Satanist should be smarter than that. Yeah, self-preservation, look out for number one, which means sometimes working with others who are then gonna help you or working within the confines of a society that is then going to help you. You can't have, first of all, without the construct of America, you would not have the construct of individualism. We would be thrown off of a fucking rooftop. Why do you think they burned fucking witches? <laughs> we would be murdered. We would be sent to prison because of what we are and who we are. That's why the fucking craziness in the 80s happened. The satanic panic. Because the dominant church saw us free-thinking individuals as a threat, misconstrued and lied about who and what we were, and tried to fucking get rid of us, exterminate us. And if it wasn't for the structure of American law, we would have fucking gone the way of the dodo. <laughs> so, anyway, I don't know why. I went off on it. Let's continue. I guess my point is <laughs> not to preach it anyone. I hope you're okay. Um, we're supposed to be intelligent human beings, not children. You gotta look a little bit further than the trees right in front of you, because there might be a cliff there that you could avoid. Is it hot? It's just me. 10. Count Leo Tolstoy, undoubtedly the ablest modern expounder of primitive Christliness, in a much translated volume entitled Work While Ye Have Light, writes thus Our faith tells us that bliss is to be found not in resistance, but in submission, not in riches, but in giving everything away. We have not quite succeeded in casting off every habit of violence and property to the most inept understanding, could any pos uh, proposition be placed in a clearer light? Is it not as simple as rolling off a log that the individual who even attempts to become a true and honest Christian must become like unto a tame sheep? What a sublime ideal. How heroic. The bliss of a sheep. How superlatively delightful. How divinely glorious. And a Jew as the good shepherd who leadeth his lambs to green pastures and quiet resting places the pleasant waters by. For two thousand years or so, his fleecy flock have been fattening themselves up with the commendable diligence for the shearing shed in the butcher's block. Let any nation throw away all habits of violence, and before long it must cease to exist as a nation. It will be laid up under tribute. It will become a province 
a satrapy. It will be taxed and looted in a thousand different ways. Let any man abandon all property, also all overt resistance to aggression, and behold, the first sun will scarcely have sank down in the west before he is a bondservant, a tributary, a beggar, or a corpse. Property is necessary to the complete and free development of personality, and therefore human animals should somehow obtain a full and fair proportion thereof at any cost or perish in the attempt. For he who cannot possess himself of property is much better buried out of sight. Our cities are literally honeycombed with treasure caverns, heaped up with gold, title deeds, silver, and instruments of credit. Our valleys are, and our monument, uh, mountains are actually bubbling over with wealth untold. And yet, poor miserable servants of Christ pass idly by. Men they call themselves. I call them castrates. If Tolstoy, obsequious, Tolstoy's obsequious principles are derived from the Sermon on the Mount, then who can deny but that the Sermon on the Mount is a sermon unto decay and slavery. If they are derived from the golden rule, and if the golden rule is the word of God, then can it be doubted that the word of God is the word of fraud? There is far too much of this ghastly goodness in the nation. Far and away, too much. It is time men who can think began to emancipate themselves and consider the fact that morals, laws, and decalogues were made by liars, thieves, and rogues. All good citizens, however, are hereby warned and solemnly advised not to smash up the Ten Commandments, not to burn up the Golden Rule, not to break up the moral law. That would be terribly wicked. Terribly. On the other hand, they must obey all law implicitly, no matter how it originated, and be sure, above everything, to order themselves lowly and reverently before executive officers of the law. Even if doing so, they are deprived of their property and their liberty forever. Obedience, you see, is of God, who so loveth the world, but disobedience is horrible and of the devil. And the devil is a frightful rascal who has not the slightest respect for anybody or anything, not even the American Constitution. Let us curse the devil then and obey the law. Liberty is honestly definable as a state of complete bodily and mental self-mastership, which includeth the possession of property, also defensive weapons, and through-going uh, independence from all officials, coercion, or restraint. Liberty, in the conventional sense, is a miserable lie. To be independent is synonymous with proprietorship. To be property-less and unarmed is the condition of actual dependence and servitude. Unarmed citizens are always enslaved citizens, always. Liberty without property is a myth. A nursery tale, believable only by babbling babies and fools I in the forest. Fools in the city also. Liberty, regulated by law, is in practice tyranny of the darkest and foulest description. Because so impersonal. 
There are numerous worthy, reasonable, and practical methods whereby individual tyrants may be removed. But a tyranny regulated by law is only removable by one method. The sword in the hand of men who are not afraid to use it, or to have it used against them. That is to say, the sword in the hands of the strongest. During the whole course of human history, there is not upon record one authentic instance wherein a subjugated people have ever regained property-holding liberty without first butchering its tyrants, or its tyrants' armed slaves in battle, therefore confiscating to its own use the lands and realized property that previously had been in the possession of its defeated foes and masters. This statement is made with cool deliberation and afterthought. Let it be disproved by any one credible example to the contrary, and the author is prepared to forfeit 50,000 ounces of pure gold and enough dimes and dollars to erect in Chicago a bronze statue of our blessed Redeemer, crown of thorns and all, 100 cubits higher than the Masonic Temple. This offer is strictly bona fide and shall remain open till 1906, so that philosophers editors, statesmen, divines, and other accomplished liars may have enough time to blind themselves, wading through national archives and the putrid rubbish heaps that men call public libraries. Should some or all of said mutual admiration society maniac geniuses go blind, also deaf, dumb, and silly, this wicked old world may probably whoop with delight should it happen to hear of the fact. I agree with most of that. Absolutely. Uh, if not all of that. You never get back liberties that you give up. We haven't. Once you give them up, that's it. That's why you don't give them up. That's why you try to legislate that they are not given up. Even in times of crisis, even in times of pandemic, don't give them up. Because you just don't get them back. No president is going to recede power, is going to give back power. No congressman is going to give back power given to them by their stupid constituents who don't care about what's actually being passed. They only care that their party is going to be the winner. Fucking idiots. That's our fucking world, though. Um, Bronze in the absence of brains just doesn't cut it. Strength and self-preservation comes in more forms than one. Absolutely. Actually, Magister Nemo had a great uh, essay on this in his collection. Let's see. Anglo-Saxons say, as far as you can throw an axe is as much land as you can use. Hmm. And here's like the, the brutal reality of all of this. Um, it doesn't matter at what time in history you want to go to. There is a dominant peoples that claims territory and then takes over said territory, and it is now their territory until it is taken from them. That's how it's always been. That's how it always will be. I mean, expansionism was supposed to be stopped by World War II, and yet <laughs> Russia just took back uh, their little bit may take back more um but the reality is you know we, we cry and we moan about how um the french and english and spanish sub and ultimately americans subjugated and um destroyed the native peoples of north america 
that's been the case of all human history. So we can cry about it. We can complain and we can say how unfair it is, whatever that means. But we're doing that from a time when we don't actively do that anymore. But in the time that it was done, that was a regular fucking occurrence. There were still colonies that the English claimed all around the globe. They're probably, I mean, to be fair, there still are slave markets, slave traders, all these Western ideas that we find abhorrent, all these behaviors that we find disgusting still exist, and they exist because that is the way of man. That is the way of our species. We like to put ourselves on pedestals and put medals and wreaths around us, claiming this sense of dignity and pride and evolution. For Satanists, we are beasts, sometimes better, more often worse than those who walk on all fours. That's what we are, and you can't deny that. And as soon as you start denying it, just as he just spoke to, you start losing independence. You start losing liberty. You start losing freedom, whatever that means. So yeah, that's how it works. Um, welcome to Salem, 1692, Maddie. What? Your friend Jordan was certified original painting, The Gesture. She was burned for creating her art because how it made people panic. Yeah, nice. Uh, yes, Zachary, an unarmed citizen is a subject. Absolutely. You are at the mercy of your representatives in that case. And if there's one thing America should understand, <laughs> it's... <laughs> We, we had a revolution over taxes. And, and now we're just like, uh, hey, let's give up everything because some people have died. And, and I will be the first to admit, I don't want to turn this into a political thing, even though you can argue this whole thing is a political thing. Um, I believe in limiting firearm rights, 100%. Yes, I do. I believe in instituting certain rules and regulations that aren't currently out there. Yes, I do. But I also believe that you should have the right to protect yourself and bear arms and not just these ones. All right. Um, you guys are, uh, I, I don't have time to, to read all of it. I'm going to have to just bounce back and forth here because we're going to continue on in just a second. I hope you guys are okay with me ranting. I know I do it. I know it's annoying as shit. I know it's frustrating when you're just like, get back to the fucking book. I am. Indulge me just a little bit of freedom because I am fucking performing here. 11. During the three years after Christ Jesus's peripatetic trampings, he never said anything that had not been better said a thousand times before by dervishes spellbinders and mahatmas neither did he do anything that had not previously been better done by the jugglers and wonder workers of egypt indian and assyria not a few thousand of his miracles are to this day part of the ordinary stock and trade of fortune-telling gypsies third-class stroller players strolling players and charlatans in general the very phrase that he uses to sum up and memorize his patent honre all was undoubtedly stolen directly or indirectly from plato 
the Rig Veda, or Confucius. The Golden Rule is not only a snare and tangle, but it also is a literary piracy. He raised the dead, you indignantly protest. And even supposing that he did, wherein is the positive advantage? What is gained by restoring vitality to the decomposing corpse of an animal that may be so easily duplicated? An animal that is a positive nuisance, numerically. What is the good of breathing the breath of life into an odorous, winding sheet full of maggots and moldy bones? Are there not plenty of animalculae on earth without dragging them out of tombs? Especially there are not plenty of leprous Asiatics? Death and destruction are necessary to the health of this world, and therefore as natural and lovable as birth and life. Only priests and born cowards moan and weep over dying. Brave men face it with approving nonchalance. Come, lovely and soothing death. Undulate around the world, serenely arriving, arriving, in the day, in the night, to all to each, sooner or later, delicate death. He fed the hungry, but to what end, I say? What should a famishing multitude be fed by a god? And that too, in a land said to be flowing with milk and honey. Would not such a mob be far better dead? Would not Napoleon, with his cosmic whiff of grape-shot, be just the right man for such an occasion? From the harmonious nature of things, it is clear that men were intended to feed themselves by their own personal exertions or perish like dogs. He, therefore, who feeds the hungry, is really encouraging paltroonery which includeth all other crimes, for men who quietly starve within reach of abounding plenty are all poltroons. He clothed the naked, you shriek. And why, it may be asked, should the naked be clothed? They being able-bodied? What right have they to broadcloth and fine linen? If men possess not enough sense to clothe themselves in a literal weaving mill of inexhaustible looms, why should a god... The son of a ghost come down from cloudland via a Jewish maiden's womb to robe such groveling, miserable hounds in swaddling clothes made of cotton or wool. Clothing the naked is purely a business affair. Here it may be suggested, in passant, is the wearing of garments in itself a natural and necessary condition of adult existence. It certainly does not render the human form divine, more healthy, or more beautiful to gaze upon, although it may prevent tenderlings from perishing of cold. Was it really intended that the man-animal only should wrap itself up from birth to death in layer over layer of disease-breeding rags? Was there not a secret vital strength in the wind and rain and storms that whirled around our forefathers' giant limbs and shaggy brows? All ethnic legends tell us that our first parents were most elegantly attired in glorious sunshine and gaudy fresh air. Whoever saw a cherubim painted in pointed shoes, pantaloons, cuffs, collars, and overcoat, or a smirking angel in bloomers, steel-ribbed corsets, and delicate little, oh dear me, how awfully awful, style. 
Clothing serves most effectively to hide the abominable physical deformities of modern men and women, just as superficial educationalisms serve to hide their dwarfed minds. If they were preambulate around in the nude, even the street curs would bark at them out of sheer terror. Indeed, they would be more hideous to the eye than the stuffed scarecrow that adorns a relative's harrowed field, and at which our old dog, Dangers, generally barks himself into hysterics over whenever he gets off the chain. What a horrible sight a crowd of free and independent electors would be, all sitting in solemn conclave, sucking their thumbs. Absorbing political opiates and divine euthanasia? Just think of it! Even Carlyle the dyspeptic would faint at the sight. The very conception of such a saddening horror makes one ill. It would be as if they had all just emerged from a tomb. A tomb of wool and cotton and leather. Physical distortion and mental malformation are the direct result of 2,000 years of bad breeding. That is to say, of mongrelism, of democracy, of equality, of moody and sankeyism. Christianism originating in the despairful and fallacious philosophy of a crucified wanderer, suffering from acute morbus saucer, is now developed into an organized and worldwide conspiracy of clericals, politicians, and decadents directed en masse with Jesuitic cunning against all the primitive and heroic virtues. Our clean-skinned, heathenish ancestors, with all their vital forces unimpaired, were really the nobler type of animal. We, on the other hand, with our corrupt, irresolute, civilized hearts, our trembling nerves, our fragile, anemic constitutions, are actually the lower, the viler type, notwithstanding the baseless optimism that courtly rhymers drivel into their heirs of all the ages, etc., etc., no people can long retain hardihood and independence whose minds become submissive to a false ideal. Side note, I'm not entirely sure clothes are a false ideal. I kind of like them. Just saying. Yes, you do acclimate to your environment. But even cavemen had fur. Actually, really, I prefer um, Law of the Forbidden. I prefer clothed women with like an oh shit hike up of the skirt or an opening button from the blouse. The tease, the titillating taunting. And then you can ravish it away. But if it was just naked all the time, meh. Meh. <laughs> Here's a thought. <laughs> if we were, to, I mean, nudists do this. So, yeah, there's a group that does this. Fine, whatever. But let's say all of society didn't wear any clothes. Would it be like, uh, what? I mean, would there be like a whole movement of people who had special trimming of chest, back, or pubic hair? Like, would that become like the defining social status? Like, oh, I've got lightning bolts, you know, or I've got a big star or whatever it is. Like people do with their cuts, you know, with their hair. But 
we're animals, so we have hair all over our body. Most of us get rid of it all or, or trim it up normally. But if we didn't ever wear any clothes, I think we would take to trimming and grooming ourselves even more. You could have like all artistic patterns. So then in that particular case, would the hairier the individual be the better because they can then have more attractive designs adorning them naturally? I mean, all you bears out there. <laughs> Is it too crazy of a thought? I feel like that would be a natural evolution of it, right? I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, Aaron. An accidental tear in the nylon. Um, like any other animal, we adapt to our environments. Yeah, absolutely. The thing is, is like, like I, we've been hearing about this argument, and again, this is hundred percent an insane rambling man. Like, there's no way, like he is just off his meds, frustrated, <laughs> and he is just attacking every little note and trying to make some sort of poignant statement about that note in order to have this great manifesto that people then worship. <laughs> there are th they are there. But, um, clothing, that's where you're going to draw a line? Really? I would argue you're probably clothed when you wrote this. Absolutely. And even though I'm only half clothed, it's worth it. <laughs> Believe me. <laughs> Robert <laughs> Wheelchair Werewolf 12 Blessed are the strong For they shall possess the earth Blessed are Fuck Let me start that over I put on and take off my glasses Because that's my cue for editing later um, When I put this on my other channel That's why 12 Blessed are the strong, for they shall possess the earth. Cursed are the weak, for they shall inherit the yoke. Blessed are the powerful, for they shall be reverenced among men. Cursed are the feeble, for they shall be blotted out. Blessed are the bold, for they shall be masters of the world. Cursed are the humble, for they shall be trodden under hooves. Blessed are the victorious, for victory is the basis of right. Cursed are the vanquished. They shall be vassals forever. Blessed are the battle-blooded. Beauty shall smile upon them. Cursed are the poor in spirit. They shall be spat upon. Blessed are the audacious, for they have imbibed true wisdom. Cursed are the obedient, for they shall breed creeplings. Blessed are the iron-handed. The unfit shall flee before them. Cursed are the haters of battle. Subjugation is their portion. Blessed are the death defiant. Their days shall be long in the land. Cursed are the feeble-brained, for they shall perish amidst plenty. Blessed are destroyers of false hopes. They are true messiahs. Cursed are the god-adorers. They shall be as shorn sheep. Blessed are the valiant, for they shall obtain great treasure. Cursed are the believers in good and evil, for they are frightened by shadows. Blessed are they who believe in nothing. Never shall it terrorize their minds. Cursed are the lambs of God. They shall be bled whiter than snow. Blessed is the man who hath powerful enemies. 
they shall make him a hero. Cursed is he who doeth good unto others, he shall be despised. Blessed the man whose foot is swift to serve a friend, he is a friend indeed. Cursed are the organizers of charities, they are propagators of plagues. Blessed are the wise and brave, for in the struggle they shall win. Cursed are the unfit, for they shall be righteously exterminated. Blessed are the sires of noble maidens, they are the salt of the earth. Cursed are the mothers of strumous tenderlings, for they shall be ashamed. Blessed are the mighty-minded, for they shall ride the whirlwinds. Cursed are they who teach lies for truth, and truth for lies, for they are abomination. Blessed are the unmerciful. Their posterity shall own the world. Cursed are the pitiful, for they shall receive no pity. Blessed are the destroyer of idols, for they shall be feared by tyrants. Cursed are the famous wiselings, their seed shall perish off the earth. Thrice cursed are the vile, for they shall serve and suffer. Contrast this with an orthodox sermonette, one that is repeated every seventh day in thousands of sacred sanctuaries by consecrated black-robed clericals who have been specially trained from boyhood to weepfully unctuously rehearse the same with upturned eyes and skillful snuffle or in classic dictation, sounding sonorous, nay sublime, as suits the occasion. Dearly beloved brethren, God answers all who kneel and pray, is a truth accepted day by day. Behold their bright and joyful lot, who have saith faith in what Christ Jesus taught, if you've empty pockets and tables bare, demand ye not your natural share. That would be wrong. But creep and sigh, and you'll go to heaven when you die. For the meek and humble who obey, there's a happy land far, far away. But a fearsome fiery brimstone pit shall melt their marrow who won't submit. If foemen smite you on one cheek, Turn round the other, cheerful meek. If perjured knaves your votes betray, Come, wicked sinners, kneel and pray. If Hebrews fleece and flay your hide, Heaven's gates for you shall open wide. Christ your shepherd won't lead astray, O lambs of God, complete and pray. If bruised and beaten, Shorn and sold, you're sure of stalls in your father's fold. But robbers rob, or rulers slay, hell roast your souls for ever and aye. If elected persons invade your wealth with bribes and lies or deadly stealth, and threat your bones with a bannered host, Christ's your refuge and the Holy Ghost. You'll triumph thus in the dawning years. Hope on, toil on, in this vale of tears, Singing rock of ages cleft for me, Oh, let me hide myself in thee. Christ, the true prince of evil.
blonde prince of all evil, in the garb of a saint, a weaving, a weaving, thy magical feint. How wily the web is of meshes for flies, woof of false morals, weft of dream lies. You tell us the humble are angels of light, inferring the valiant are demons of night. You curse all that's noble, you praise all that's vile, invert all that's righteous with satanic guile. Round millions you've woven a hypnotic spell, Christ, thou art Mephisto, the mocker of hell. You urge us to bless them who plunder and cheat us, to love and caress them who hate and ill-treat us. There's not in thy teachings one thought that is true. Thou art a false prophet, O crucified Jew. I mean, that was great, right? That was good. I like that. <laughs> I love, this guy has a sense of humor. Let's be honest. That whole sermon was great. That was gold. It was hilarious. I love that. And I, I really did dig that poem, too. That was good. Uh, we're at chapter three here. We are an hour in. All right. We're doing pretty good. Pretty, 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 pretty good. Uh, you do the top. <laughs> All right. Hold on. I should have fucking done that, huh? Damn it. I should have, like, thrown a robe around with a little white bit. Yeah, no, he did. Well, that's what I love so much about this, is, like, before I've ever, I'd ever read this fully, I thought he only took from the very beginning of Maya's right. But you dig in, and the doctor, he, like a surgeon, just sliced carved out little pieces from this entire volume that happened to fit his satanic narrative and then reformulated it in the same way he did with the Enochian keys he took what arguably was an apocryphal christian writing and he completely restructured it into a satanic ritualistic implement i mean you gotta have some balls, eh? <laughs> to, to do that. It's badass. And I dig them. I think they're great. Yeah. It's like the Book of Enoch, right? Or something like that, th where they came from? I may be talking out my ass, but I thought it was. Or actually, no. <laughs> I think it was like completely manufactured whole cloth out of um, some crystal seer where they took the original Book of Enoch apocryphal writings and reformulated it in this weird, like, occult-nick white light thing that then the doctor took and manipulated. Either way, good on him. <laughs> That's what I say. I'm taking, a, I'm taking a, a bold stance here by saying thumbs up, doctor. <laughs> God. Uh, yeah, and then, yeah, his own personality. Absolutely, sure. <clears throat> Chapter 3. The Spinning of the Web 
Just as a spider weaves his silky web to lure flies into the larder of his banqueting hall, in order that he may at his leisure pick the flesh from their, off their bones, so deceitful idols are cunningly woven by dexterous political spiders to capture and exploit swarms of human flies. What are the grandoise paragraphs of the Declaration of Independence but the weft and woof of a dazing spiderweb? And what are the American people but the fool flies that have been cleverly entangled in its gossamer meshes? For over a century, this declaration has been the parchment divinity of all public orders. From the curved stone dervish at the street corner to our elective monarch in the White House, every 4th of July, Americans habitually scream themselves hoarse over its sounding generalities, making the welkin ring with tin horns, giant firecrackers, flag idolatry, brass bands, toy pistols, and herd bellowing generally. Although the great majority of them are mental and physical dwindlings, poverty-stricken and property-less, yet how insanely they delight in the amusing and sardonic world with their loquacious flamboyant charlatanry. We are sovereigns and equals, is their everlasting barmicide chorus. Sovereigns and equals, alas, alas! In all lunatic asylums may be found inmates who fancy themselves kings and queens and lords of the earth. These sorrowful creatures, if only permitted to wear imaginary crowns and issue imaginary commands, are the most docile and harmless of all maniacs. As for the American people of today, is not their written constitution but a cunningly constructed straitjacket? Their moral codes, padded prison cells their statute laws, handcuffs and leg irons, their captains of industry, keepers and turnkeys in clever disguise. One hundred years ago, they ostensibly commenced independent operations with the richest continent on earth as their private property, their subscribed capital, and during the whole of that period, have they not been as busy as so many relays of drought beasts of burden? pumping their tremendous natural wealth out of their home soil and pouring it over sea into the cesspools of Europe? Is not that work of lunatics? They smashed and splintered the wooden political yoke of an English king and then proceeded to rivet around their necks a brand new yoke of bolted steel, which they had forged especially to fit themselves and which they dignified under the name of constitutional freedom. Is not that also the work of lunatics? Cursed indeed are the harnessed ones. Cursed are they even though their harnesses may be homemade, even although it tinkle musically with silver bells, aye, even though every buckle and link and rivet thereof made a solid gold. How absurd of men to hurrah! over their glorious political liberty, who have not even been able to retain possession of the substantial products of their own laboriousness. After a century of constitutional progress, 10% of the population are absolute owners of 92% of all the property. Now, O oh reader, are not these things the outward invisible signs of organic dementia? Side note, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> like, how can you argue with that? We are in a time. And you hear it because it's a political, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a political hymn that is sung by, by everyone on the left. But the top 2% do own more than the bottom 98%. I mean, it's true. So whether or not you think it's a terrible saying or the idea is full of whatever, Might is Right is parroting a political left statement. Let that blow your fucking minds for just a second. So all of you right-wingers who are so ardently against every one of those liberal peoples of this planet, I think we can all meet on this point, right? I mean, if there's no other common ground. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Zachary, I, there's nothing wrong with the, the idea. And here's the deal. Any nation needs allies. And so trading with other nations is a logical thing to do. But if you're throwing the baby out with the bathwater and then you're just hoping the other people throw back another baby to replace yours, that's foolishness. And I don't believe we should be isolationists. No, that's foolishness. But we could probably cut a few better deals. So yeah, I guess in that, <laughs> I have to concede in that idea. Trump has a point. <laughs> Fuck. I'm melting. I'm melting. But we gotta be honest, right? Whether you like the guy or not, every once in a while, a broken clock is right twice a day. So, you know. I'm trying not to explode right now. <clears throat> Two, the Declaration of Independence commences by proclaiming an unctuous falsehood, a black, degrading, self-evident lie, a lie which no one could possibly believe but a born fool. With insolent effrontery, it brazenly proclaims as a self-evident truth that all men are created equal and that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, rights which it thereupon proceeds to define in canting phraseology, imbecile and florid as it is false. Indeed, the mocking heroic preamble of this rhetorical pronunciamento is but a cunningly constructed piece of blague deliberately intended to deceive and betray. It consists of a patchwork of plagiarized catchwords annexed wholesale from the ravings of 17th century levelers, crazed puritanic matoids, and 18th century cretinous French Jacobins, all mixed up and jumbled together with a long rigmarole of semi-meaningless pretty phrases culled mostly from the old time of melodrama. The Declaration of Independence has less real meaning for present conditions than a bottled-up Indian war whoop of the same period which would have if uncorked now. It is a back number, musty, high-smelling, and worm-eaten, only fit for the walls of a museum or the brain cells of a daft philosopher. It's ethical, and most of its political conclusions are shams, deceptions, and cold-blooded dishonesties. 
incandescent lies, glorified, blotted, printed in letters of gold, but nevertheless, lies. Indeed, it has always been considered a piece of amusing mockery, but those who really understood its secret intent for which it was originally const constructed, viz., as a lasso for the bellowing herds that, about 100 years ago, were beginning to run wild and escape from their herdsmen and herdsmen stock whip in this then boundless new world. To all contemporary demagogues, the high-sounding phraseology of the Declaration is as honey from paradise. Everywhere, its seductive abstractions are the avatars of anarchism, communism, republicanism, and scores of other zymotic convulsionisms. Why then should sane men continue giving lip service to this subtle deception? Why should they, by their silence, acquiesce in the malefic efforts of organic weaklings, instigated by prattlers of a false philosophy, to enforce by electioneering mass pressure and impossible and hideous equal equality ideal? Every national appeal is now made, not to the noblest and the best, but to the riffraff, the slave hordes, who possess less intelligence than night owls. All that is brave, honorable, heroic is ignored tactically for fear of offending and deified herd, the majority. Equality of conditions is its debasing shibboleth, and verily, he who has temerity enough to spit upon equality is liable to be horned to death. The voice of the people can only be compared to the fearsome shrieks of agony that may now and then be heard issuing forth from the barred windows of a roadside madhouse. The voice of God, alas, alas! Before we get to three, in defense of the Constitution or the Declaration of Independence, um, they are ideals. It is a goal. It is not saying that this is reality. It is saying that this nation is going to attempt to enact these goals. So, though I do not believe in the idea of equality and nature has blatantly proven it is not a thing, I can understand why people would want there to be equality, especially if you are a shitty fucking person who cannot take care of yourself. <laughs> it's nice to think that everyone is the same. It's not reality, but it's nice. I get it. It's a happy feel good. I get it. And let's be honest. <laughs> the idea, because it's in reality, again, not reality, but the idea of a fair court system where everyone is treated equal would be a nice idea. Again, not real, but it would be nice. And so the idea of, of, of uh, having a, a founding document that says, this is what we're aspiring to, I don't think it's a bad thing at all. Especially if it means that I can be treated like an individual. And that I can freely live stream satanic content online and not be thrown in jail and put to death. So, not such a bad thing. Night, Aaron. Thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. All right, 20% of drivers on the road use 80%. <laughs> 
Uh, 20% of cash is circulated 80% of the time. 20% of letters is used 80%. Yeah, I love that. I love percentages because they're always used to manipulate people, stupid people who don't think about the reality of it. Um, so, for example, um, I, we, in my profession, we reference website analytics to help inform design and, and structure of sites. Um, and it's easy to get 100% on something when you have very, very few visitors associated with it. But when you have more visitors, it's harder to get to those 100% numbers. Um, and so it's easy to manipulate any type of data as long as you just scale down the test case, right? So whenever you're running across political polls and they're like, 85% of people believe this or 46% of people believe that, always understand that their percentages and they can be skewed in any way that the presenter would like them to be skewed and so it's tough to believe any of it tequila all right let's continue three there are two methods whereby masterful, ambitious men may hold any population in a state of ordered subjectivity. The first and by far the most honorable method is through an irresistible and highly trained standing army ready to deploy anywhere with mechanical precision at a telegraphic nod in order to lay down the law as the cannon's mouth and sweep away all dangerous opposition. The second and cheaper method is... First of all, to inoculate those intended to be exploited with some poisonous political soporific supposition or theory, something that operating insidiously, hypodermically, may render them laborious, meek, and tractable. The latter plan has ever proved itself most effective because Aryan populations that would fight to the last gasp against undisguised military despotism may induce to passively submit to any indignity or extortion if their brains are first carefully soaked in some abstract lie. At the period of the War of Independence, North America was far too wide, far too sparsely settled, and far too poor in concentrated wealth to be effectively ruled and plundered upon the standing army principle, either by King George or the successful junta of power-wielding revolutionists. Hamilton Hancock, Jefferson, Adams, Madison, Henry, and all the vested material interests that stood a solid phalanx behind those voluble patriots cast about for some safer method of ruling the minds of the uninformed by extremely valorous yeomanry, backwoodsmen, and mountaineers. After mature consideration, they determined to lull and lure the armed peasantry back again into a condition of blissful solemnness by instilling into their newly aroused minds false but seductive political idealisms as subtle supplements to the fallacious and equally delusive but pre-existent religionisms and moralisms. This cunning plot worked like a charm for equity of rights seemed to puritanic minds the logical outcome of that other hoary old lie, equality before God. What a set of damned rascals they were, 
was Governor Morris's terse, rugged, but ever-memorable description of the Congress of Smart Corruptionists that adopted and formally proclaimed those famous and fatal abstractions. Thereupon, the sword of power that had conquered on the battlefield was carefully hidden away out of sight, and con constitutionalism invoked to aid in the re-harnessing of the conquerors of Cornwallis by their new masters. The old systems of jurisprudence and government, founded on naked force, were cleverly retained, even amplified, and at the same time, the white-skinned populations were cunningly proclaimed free and equal, never having enjoyed genuine personal freedom, except in the Indian border, being for the most part descendants of hunted-out European starvelings and fanatics, defeated battlers. They now stupidly thought that they had won freedom at last, by the patent device of selecting a complete outfit of new tax gatherers every four years. Four. When we took back upon... Let me start that again. Four. When we look back upon the childlike faith in constitutionalism displayed by our revolutionary four, uh, fathers, together with their infantile Republican specifics for the redemption of mankind... We cannot help smiling. At every general election since 1776, Americans have voted solidly for increasing the despotic authority of their elective rulers and taskmasters. Personal liberty is very nearly unknown, except in the newspaper, and any citizen who dares to think in direct opposition to the dogma of the majority does so at the risk of his life if he thinks too loudly. Indeed, men of initiative and enterprise are now in the regular habit of purchasing immunity from communal molestation by bribing legislatures and officials upon a wholesale scale. The state is a blackmail agency. But enterprising necessitating state permits and large preliminary expenditures of capital cannot be safely undertaken until elective satraps, aldermen, judges, governors, congressmen, presidents, senators, etc. have first negotiated percentages uh, rake off Neither life nor property is safe from the malignance, revenge of, or greed of government officials or their confederates. He who would assert himself in this republic under present conditions must be a man of unscrupulous acumen and shrewdness. He must know the exact price of every patriot with whom business brings him in contact and be ready to pay it without demurnay. Um, with an appearance of hearty enthusiasm. Otherwise, it would go hard with him. Should he be a poor man, his chance in life are infinitesimal, so long as he is conscious, uh, conscientious. No citizen can call his soul his own, who dares to openly attack the administration scoundrelism, scoundrelism based securely upon purchasable majority votes. Those thievish official peculators of Turkey, China, Persia, and Morocco would hang their heads in utter shame at their own clumsy methods of robbery if they once beheld the magnificent mechanism and finesse wherewith American politicians enriched themselves by bleeding the treasuries, stealing public lands, and sweating the revenues. Indeed, our grand visors, heaven bless them, not only plunder living generations, but they even make futurity contribute to their hungry rapacity. Their schemes of financial ledger main are of unparalleled brilliance and grandeur. They borrow thousands of millions upon national credits from the usurers and 
Then proceed to apportion the money unto each other under the elaborate pretense of needful public expenditure, redeeming the currency, etc., etc. In order that the Jew may be secured in his usurious shent per shent, oppressive taxes are laid on the peasantry wherewith to pay the annual interest charge upon the bonded millions. All of these tributes are collectible in appreciating gold at the point of the Supreme Court's bayonet. However, military assistance is very seldom needed to enforce the tax collector's demands because most Americans are exceptionally docile and good. No need of co coercion with a palsied people ever eager to obey the slightest nod of their masters. America! America! Never shall you realize the true meaning of thoroughgoing independence and self-proprietorship until an American Cromwell or an American Caesar has signed the death warrant of an American king. The executive that sells his people into bondage is a public enemy, whether he an elected monarch or a hereditary king. Such a scoundrel and traitor has no rights that property-holding freemen are bound to respect. No! Not one! By accepting the gold of public plunderers, he makes himself an Ishmaelite. His hand is against every man's heart and every man's property. Therefore, every man's hand should be uplifted against him. In days not long gone by, men of our race have hung bribe-takers with scant ceremony, and even rolled the heads of kings into the executioner's basket. If we are not to be robbed now of everything we possess and reduced to conditions of absolute state servitude, we must not shrink from doing so again. Despotism if it is to be overthrown, must be fought with its own weapons, and the vilest of despotisms are ever founded upon majority votes. As for the common people, they are energetically chasing shadowy paternalisms and allowing their substance to be appropriated on a gigantic scale. They are living in a fool's paradise of progress and peaceful industrial evolution, as the cant phrases go. Some of these days they may possibly wake up, when too late, and discover with alarm and astonishment that all their mock iambics have been of no avail against the insidious growth of centralized oligarchy, Hebronism, ballot box desolation, and industrial imperialism. Americans have yet to learn that each generation must fight out its own good fight and not rely for the preservation of its hardihood and independence upon moth-eaten parchments, nor on fraudulent statesmen. Now in the graveyard, statements who, statesmen who spent their petty, babblesome lives not in doing heroic things, but in founding and enthroning the abominations that afflict us all today like a palsy. Our national hero worship badly wants reconstruction i've got to say you strip out the racism the anti-semitism from that section and it is 100 percent true 100 percent fucking true um it is not ethnicity that acts this way or has set this up it is human nature but yeah we are being fucked. All you have to do is look at uh, the uh, 
um, the the recent CARE Act that was enacted in the states, where they throw trillions of dollars at corporations and big business, and then uh, eh, you might get uh, twelve hundred bucks, you peddly people who need to survive. Who cares about you? We need to bail out these big businessmen. We need to make sure that they get more money. All the while, small business is failing. Big business is buying up small business, amassing wealth, amassing power, stripping it away from those lowly vassals that voted the senators in place that are now stripping them of their fucking livelihood. That's actually fucking happening right now! So you can't really say that this entire thing is a manifesto of hate or ignorance because it's not. It's not. It's actually happening right fucking now. <laughs> this was in 1896. Humanity doesn't change. We've always been this way. We always will be this way. If you happen to be on the top, hold on! Because the only thing that's going to take you down is a revolution. And we don't really like those nowadays in America. How can we have a revolution if we're not, if we're going to not be able to binge watch something or I would rather as society share memes in social media and click the like button and see how many likes I get today than actually do something about my environment or my democracy. That's what we are. So yeah, he's right. 100%. It sucks, but it's true. Let's continue. Half an hour left. Five. Many years after the declaration was issued, our written const uh, constitution was constructed with much voluble sophistry and mimic strife that document considered as a whole is the most cunningly worded and at the same time most terrible instrument of government and mastership that any anglo-teutonic tribe has ever yoked itself up under pretending to grant liberty and self-government it practically annihilates both under the show of guaranteeing personal independence and civil rights it has organized an elective tyranny wherein the mob monarch possesses more arbitrary authority than any dynastic despot since the days of Darius or Belshazzar. The highest crime is actually written in the highest law of the land. Thus did the great guile masters their toils and their tangles set, and as wide as was the water, so wide was woven the net. Indeed, the written constitution of our republic is a monstrous mechanical contrivance that bids fair, when once it has got properly underway, to squeeze the very heart out of all the best elements in America. Our federal government may be, very appropriately, compared to a pirate ship, cleverly disguised as a friendly armed cruiser, convoying a, uh, con convoying a fate fleet of peaceful merchantmen loaded with an immense treasure and 70 million passengers. When it first came to the assistance, it was, oh, so kindly, so affectionate, so full of loving regard for its intended prey for the welfare and bon voyage of its quarry. Now, however, 
that its 45 ships of state are out in the open ocean, and absolutely at its mercy, it strips off its decoy rig, hoists the death head and bloody bone, opens its hidden portholes, runs out its round-lipped broadsides, and yells through its editorial speaking trumpets, Heave to there, or you'll be blown out of the water! Thus it will be seen the Jesuitic evangel of equality has proved itself a tremendous success. It seduced the American people into a feeling of contentment and security till their bonds and fetters were properly forged, polished, and neatly riveted on. Well-fashioned indeed was the net, a splendid spiderweb it has proved itself, and withal, needful. Under the hypnotic spell of a free and equal dream, Americans have been hustled into a convict prison of laboriousness to piratical masters a thousand times more terrible and more unyielding than any history can describe. All that is now left of liberty is its name, and the harmless privilege the common people have of scolding their proprietors and vulgar editorial diatribes at or about election times. Occasionally they do descend into the streets, indulging in sanguinary vociferations upon the same general principle that impels a mangy cur to howl most dismally if struck with a brick. The conflict between the masters and the helots is over for the present, and the masters, having conquered, are in possession of the booty and the field. Hark! Their songs of victory, the flap of the battle pennons. Indeed, considering all the circumstances, the common people are lost souls. No matter what they now do, they must remain in hell. Their position is that of a worm trying to escape from its hole in a heated burning log. If it runs to the right, it runs into heat and smoke. If it runs to the left, it runs into blazes. A few minutes more and it's roasted alive. Even should America's servile multitudes appeal to the ar uh, arbiterment of physical force, they cannot possibly win, possessing neither the strength, courage, brains, arms, money, nor leaders. They must be blown into eternal fragments by their masters, highly trained artillerists, and scientific destroyers. <clears throat> this is getting hard. <laughs> My throat is uh, getting sore. All right, what do you guys think? Is it too real? Is it full of shit? Is he just pissed that he's uh, not at the top? Or even in the mad ramblings, can there be truth? I think that's interesting. I think it's worth the conversation. All right. <clears throat> 20 more minutes. I'm struggling. We'll get through this. Six. The citadel of power is now consolidated and prepared with the most improved armaments to repel any assault, no matter how well sustained. The nation is now intersected in all directions with iron high roads and splendid waterways, whereon armies and navies may be moved from city to city with facility and dread effect. The war of secession 
or rather the war for the annihilation of self-government, demonstrated conclusively that a centralized authority resting on herd votes of the vulgar and fanatic is, in practice, military absolutism. There is no other power in the land that can effectively hold it in check. The Tsar of Russia possesses less actual authority than our federal government. With a standing army in the hollow of its hand, it can do exactly as it pleases. I.e., if it can collect enough revenue to purchase statesmen and pay the salaries of its praetorian cohorts. Most Americans are only now beginning to perceive these things, but they were foreseen, and also foretold in part, by clear-sighted individuals even before the Constitution itself was formally enthroned. Today, all the old Sphinx questions are up again for solution. No man of balanced sense can honestly believe that these problems are to be settled by ballot box stuffing or editorialism. Settled they must be upon the good old rule, the simple plan, and thereafter settled and resettled again and again, for there is no finality in social adjustments, and there should not be. Material strength is the basis of all human greatness, and material strength must settle the tyranny of the greatest number, probably with fire and steel. All other theories are chimeras, lies, delusions, make-believe and of no account. The philosophy of power has slumbered long, but whenever men of sterling worth are found, it must again sweep away the ignoble, dollar-damned peddlerisms of today and openly, as of old, dominate the destiny of an emancipated and all-conquering race. What is viler than a government of slaves and Yerseran Jews? What is grander? than a government of the noblest and the best, who have proved their fitness on the plains of death. Cromwell and his Ironsides, Caesar and his legions, shall be born again, and the thunderous thread, uh, tread of Sulla's fierce destroyers shall roll and rumble amid the fire and glare of smoke of crumbling consti constitutionalisms, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, warfare without end. Yopping politicians may harangue base city mobs of hirelings and Christlings with Alas, poor Yorick! Rhapsody, as if struggle and strife, with the evil of all evils. And figures of speech, however, cannot breathe the breath of life into feline philosophies that never had the slightest foundation, in fact. The survival of the fittest, the toughest, is the logic of events and also of all time. They who declare otherwise are blind. The chief point is this, that fitness must honestly demonstrate itself not by ignoble theft in theory, but by open conflict as per Darwin's law of battle. How can citizens be honestly described as free and equal who are not, who never were, free and equal in any reasonable sense of the phrase? How can they be even considered men whose whole lives are governed by cast-iron regulations, whose every movement is circumscribed and restrained by penal threats, even whose secret thoughts are in a constant state of silent repression. It is no apology whatever to affirm that the people themselves enact all laws that they are commanded to obey. Even that statement is a falsity, and if it were true, it would not justify majority dictatorship or any other kind of dictatorship.
The Constitution under which all other laws are born was accepted, not by us, but by bewigged individuals who are long since rotten. We are ruled, in fact, by cadavers, the inhabitants of tombs. Why should agreements be coffined, uh, agreements made by coffined dead men bind in mortgage living, pulsing, breathing beings? Their bones have long ago moldered into ooze and fertilizers who drew up and signed the Bill of Rights, Magna Carta, the Sermon on the Mount, the Declaration of Independence, our glorious Constitution, etc., etc. Rotten are the brains that concocted them and the fingers that signed and sealed them. Equally rotten are their irrational and infantile philosophies. Rotten also in their heart are the men who obey under compulsion voices from the tomb. No doubt those old documents served their purpose at the time, but new occasions teach new duties, and new ages require not only new leaders, but new deeds. Again, most acts of Congress are the Machiavellian work of eminent rogues, curse them, whose very names are almost forgotten except by partisan chroniclers and printers of public school histories. As for common law, it is an inheritance from those interesting old days when Saxon and Norman earls, they were genuine noblemen then, for they had won their position by risking their lives in battle, administered justice direct per media of knotted clubs, hilted knives, and long-handled cleavers. That was the only kind of law understood by our uncivilized forefathers, for they had not been educated into the profound conviction that governments and laws derived all their just powers from the consent of the government. Such an expression would have sent them into convulsions, and he who uttered it would be considered a most excellent fool. No doubt our ancestors were somewhat rude in their manners, somewhat deficient in sweetness and culture, but in matters of frozen fact, they were decidedly logical. They did not sneak to public meetings and swagger about liberty, justice, and equality of opportunity, or rights of man, when they knew full well that not only their lives, but everything they normally possessed was by leave of their conquerors and proprietors. They accepted their position pro tem, and when again ready, honestly re-entered the doom ring to test anew their fate. If they could come alive again, how those old pirates and freebooters would stare in shame and scorn at the sight of their tenderfoot posterity, walking up in solemn, horny-handed, hump-backed procession in shoddy rags before an idolater called a ballot box, dropping into its gilded maw printed invocations for justice, mercy, liberty, peace in our time, O oh Lord! protection, cheap money, more laws, more laws, more laws! How our blonde, clean-limbed ancestors would guffaw. Indeed, they would probably keep on guffawing till they guffawed themselves to death again. Oh, they would say, to think that our seed should have sank so low.
Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I often reflect on the idea of how delicate we are physically and in our sensibilities compared to our ancestors just a generation back. I mean, consider it for a second. Our great-grandparents <laughs> would be sickened at our behaviors, I think. And I base that on the idea that that was a generation of hard work and labor to survive. And we seem to be a culture of free time and social media, which is, of all fake activities, the greatest that mankind has ever created. Posts and likes and chimes and alerts, little dopamine hit after dopamine hit after dopamine hit. <laughs> I don't know. I think a lot of this is uh, bullshit, but inside of it, maybe you dig out a little kernel, a little corn piece <laughs> of truth. Uh, yeah, Zachary. I mean, it's interesting, I think. It's worth considering. <clears throat> yeah. No, you're right. Freetown. Just sounds Orwellian. All right, let's see if we can do this last one here before we call it a night. <clears throat> Thank you guys so much for tuning in and for sticking it out through all this. I don't know how entertaining this is, um, but you make it much more entertaining for me. That's for damn sure. So thanks. Seven. But equality before the law is all we mean. Whimpers, the everlasting sophist, the cunning liar. Let us see. By what irrational... By what rational method can any two litigants be placed in a position of unconditional equality before the law? First of all, plaintiff and defendant always possess totally different physical and mental, mental characteristics, different personal magnetisms, and different sized bank balances. Also, all judges, juries, and legal officials are unequals in temperament, ability, courage, and honesty. Each one has his own peculiar idiosyncrasies, prejudices, inferiorities, superstitions, and price. Each again may be more or less dishonest and more or less subject to financial pressure or caste basis. No two men are born alike, each one being literally born under his own particular star, formed of different material, swayed by different ideals, educated and molded in a different mill by a different process. Even if all tribunals of justice were founded upon blind impartiality and administered free of cost, it will be plainly seen that equality before the law remains a mere chimera, a dream, and of no real value. Equality before the law is just a meaningless catchword, something like that famous Jesuitism, liberty regulated by law. Statute law may formally confer equal rights and privileges upon unequal citizens, but it cannot enforce itself. It must execute its mandate through human media, and that media is full up to the brim with superiorities, inferiorities, and inequalities. No legalism has ever been devised that strength cannot drive its coach and four through, and it is a popular proverb 
in all lands that somehow there is one law for the rich and another for the poor. Indeed, the poor can never be placed upon an equality with the rich, not even by the pillage of the rich. Whether they are the fittest or not, the present proprietors of wealth should never permit themselves to be plundered without a savage struggle. No one doubts but that they will be put to the test. Sooner or later, the hour of the struggle in its acute form shall arrive, but the rich must not dread it. If they prepare in time, the result shall not only justify their mastership, but render it impregnable if they are fit. To be respected and secure, aristocracies must rest themselves upon sordid might, not upon paper credits, consoles, and bond issues. So the, should the opulence be conquered and pillaged, that it in itself will be conclusively evidence that they are neither the fittest nor the best. Upon this earth there is no such thing as equal justice. All legal tribunals are based not upon ideal concepts of justice and fair play, but upon effective armed strength. This is a truism. Robbery under arms laid the cornerstone of every courthouse in Christendom and elsewhere. How then can the robbers and the robbed, the eagle and the pigeon, the chicken and the hawk, be placed in positions of genuine equilibrium before removable officials, specially paid and appointed, to vindicate the law? That is to give forcible effect to the dicta of the strongest. All judges are authorized avengers, armed to the teeth, and all hangmen are licensed assassins, trained to kill. These words are not spoken in disparagement. Assassins and avengers! <laughs> if that be so, truly they that seek the Lord do suffer hunger, but lions seek for prey. When an army of occupation settles down upon an enemy's territory, it issues certain rules of procedure for the orderly transference of the property and persons of the conquered into the absolute possession and unlimited control of the conquerors. These rules of procedure may at first take shape as orders issued by military generals, but after a time they develop themselves into statute books, precedents, and constitutions. Indeed, all law is now and ever has been the mandate of successful belligerence, or rather the mandate of the few masterful personalities that ever inspired the operations of successful belligerence. Equality before the law is thus a contradiction in terms, for law itself is an incarnation of inequality. It is true only in the subjective sense that all who obey the law are equally the servants of those who made it or caused it to be made. Drumhead court-martials are really law courts in embryo. Congresses and parliaments are merely committees of rapacious tax-gatherers. Legislators may describe themselves as representatives of the people, but that's only a cunning masquerade. Their chief vocation is to strengthen the law, uphold the Constitution, vote the annual appropriations, and devise ways and means of exploiting the nation or of permitting it to be systematically looted by their accomplices or their masters. The principles that govern a holdup 
are the selfsame principles that govern government. No government on earth rests on the consent of the government of the governed. It is reasonable, therefore, for a confederation of masterful bandits to place themselves in positions of absolute equality before their intended victims. The idea is absurd on the face of it. Brigandage necessitates inequality, and every government on earth is organized and enthroned brigandage. Las Casas was the first prominent sophist in America to spread about the false subversive and shameful theory of human equal human rights. But since his time, it has been boastfully accepted on all sides by vast hordes of witless persons who are in all countries the numerical majority. The race of fools, as Plato sagaciously remarked, is not to be counted. Not even in this land of the free. Although equality in any shape has never been scientifically proven nor logically defended, Nevertheless, it passes from tongue to tongue, from brain to brain in current discussions, for gospel truth, just as clever counterfeit coins are passed unsuspectingly from hand to hand. The equality, superstition, is tolerated by clear-seeing men for one reason only. It assists them to govern the thoughts, and by governing the thoughts, to exploit the property, energy, and labor force of their soft-minded, good-natured neighbors who really believe it to be true, who think it glad tidings of great joy. Behold, when the fraudulent equality of natural rights evangel is mellifluously poured forth in the marketplaces by suave dollar-hunting attorneys or half-educated mechanics, even those staid citizens, whose whole life is of a direct disproof, lead the roaring, raving, yelling crowd in its maniacal bellowings. Lo, the angel of lunacy is camped in their souls. That's all I got. <laughs> That's it. We are stopping at 8. So, chapter 3, section 8, I believe. And I'm spent. <laughs> God damn. Oh, yeah, it's weird because there's a lot of stuff um, in previous sections that I'm like, ugh, ugh, you know, sort of cringing at. Not so much in these most recent ones. I'm just like, oh, fuck. <laughs> like, oh, shit, this is more true than it should be. <laughs> damn it. <laughs> you can't. Zachary, you can't. But to be honest, if you've been paying attention to politics, say for, you know, since the Reagan administration in America, um, arguably since World War II, uh, you can't go back to normal <laughs> because reality is just hitting you in the face over and over again with every new legislative agenda, with every new, um, uh, uh, um, can't think of words anymore it's been two hours um every new crises new laws are passed to restrict freedoms and secure money for certain groups not for the masses for certain groups now those certain groups are not ethnic groups they are just men and women of power 
who want to shore up their power. It's a reality. Like you can't argue it. It's just, you can see it in the news every day. And you can choose to ignore it. You can choose to turn, you know, your cheek and, and pretend it's not really happening, but it is. And as long as there is money in government, money in politics, it will forever be the case. That's why I think we should get money out of politics. That's why I think we should have actual elections not funded by the most wealthy, but by the masses. Anyway, that's it. I'm glad you enjoyed it, William. Thank you for tuning in, man. Um, two hours, that's it. I'm going to try to go back to my normal life with my family. A sweaty, sore-throated man. <laughs> Thank you guys so much. Uh, the next one, I don't know when it's going to be. A, a few weeks, maybe. Um, but I'll let you know. <laughs> so keep an eye out. And if you need a copy of this, that like I've been reading through like a bunch of copy errors and stuff. And so, you know, my my version, the original version of this that I'm reading from, is um, deficient to say the least. Underworld Amusements released an authoritative edition. So go check them out. Underworldamusements.com pick up the authoritative edition of Might is Right. And uh, until next time, everyone, hail the Satan. <laughs> hail Satan.